What if you could live your life judgment-free? Are you ready to live the unapologetic, confident life that God designed for you? If you are, then this is the place to be. Welcome to the Bold, Brave, and Sassy Show. It's time to break free of physical, spiritual, and heart-centered challenges that have held you back for way too long. Listen in for powerful tips and tools to help you break free today. Hear from leading experts along with me, Annie Berryhill, your host and personal guide to freedom. Now it's time to live like no one's judging. Let's go. Hey there, this is Annie Berryhill, and welcome to the Bold, Brave, and Sassy Show. I'm so happy that you stopped by to listen in. Today's episode is all about well-being. Now, I know that there is way too much information out there about how to be the best us we can be, but I wanted to help you cut through some of that and get down to the brass tacks of what you can do to be your healthiest, strongest, happiest, all of that, right? And starting today. So let's get right into it. So I have six pillars of health that I generally speak to people about, and these are the like the high level, the macro level, and each of these little pie pieces has lots and lots of little details that if that area is an area of weakness or growth for you, we can dig in a little bit more. But the six topics or the six foundational pieces of well-being are sleep, fuel, nutrients, hydration, mental health, strength, and also endurance. And actually that's seven. Strength and endurance are more like fitness together, but I like to separate those out a little bit. Now, we know as human beings that probably at no time are we going to be a hundred out of a hundred in each one of these pieces. But I wanted to give you a few just basic, basic things to understand about each and how to get a little bit better in each way that it's not overwhelming and it's not going to take you on a crazy rabbit trail of the internet to help you figure out, right? I mean, that's the problem. Even for me, you know, I can research a topic. I can, you know, check something out. Next thing I know, I'm buying a pair of shoes. That was not my intention. (laughs) So I really want to help you guys to have some really basic strategies if you want to strengthen a particular area of your health and well-being. Okay, so let's start with sleep. I don't know about you. I don't know how old you are, but I know in my 50s, sleep has been more of a challenge than at any time in my life, which I think is very ironic. It's ironic because at a time when I had kids and maybe they were getting up in the middle of the night or keeping crazy schedules, I actually slept a lot better and maybe because I was more tired. But I think And if you read the research, as we age, sleep becomes a little bit more elusive. So some of the things that I do and that I do because I've done some research about this is, you know, just like when we have babies and we want them to understand that the day is coming to an end and it's time to wind down and we're going to get ready for bed is, is to do a sleep ritual. Now, for some people that may be, you know, turning off the TV and turning off electronics, which is excellent because of the way that the light and the sound affect our brain, right? It keeps us awake. Uh, 
So just think about when you're, when you have little kids, usually have dinner, maybe do a little, you know, quiet time, a little play after dinner, kind of get the last of the yaya crazies out of your kids, right? And then you put them in the bath or the shower, and then they get their jammies on, and maybe you read them a book or a part of a story while they're lying in bed. Well, that kind of stuff still applies for adults. I mean, it's pretty powerful to just take a nice hot shower. And, or as my friend Rob Wolf does, he tries cold showers. I haven't gotten there yet. That doesn't appeal to me at all. But the idea of a nice warm bath or a shower and putting your jammies on and getting into bed at a reasonable hour. And the research shows that getting into bed by 10 o'clock will allow you hopefully to fall asleep by about 10, 20, 10, 30. And you actually take advantage of how your body works in terms of releasing human growth hormone and restoration and enough REM cycles in seven or eight hours of sleep so that you actually wake up rested and you get all the benefits of sleep that it's intended to have, right? So having a sleep ritual before you go to bed every night as much as possible is very useful. Now, at times I've had to use melatonin, valerian root, I've tried kava, I've, I've tried many different combinations of things. I mean, there are times when I can't sleep so much that I'm not going to lie, I'll take a half a Benadryl because I need to fall asleep and I'm tired of being tired. <laughs> but I don't do any of those things consistently and I don't do them consistently on purpose because I don't ever want to become dependent. I want my body to figure out sleep on its own. And I will say that regular exercise contributes to your ability to fall asleep. You know, when even lifting weights or, you know, taking brisk walks, you know, the kind of walks where maybe you can put a sentence together before you have to take a breath if someone was walking with you. So those things are really good for sleep and doing that regularly. I mean, I know I'm more tired, just like a little kid, ironically enough, I do sleep better on days when I spend a fair amount of time outside. And whether I'm, you know, in the garden or just taking a walk with my dog, I somehow always feel like those are the nights that I end up having better sleep. So check your sleep. You know, you should be getting seven to eight hours uninterrupted. Oh, oh, and here's another great one. Not drinking a ton of water or liquids closer to bedtime. Because I don't know about you, but I sure as heck don't like to be awakened because my bladder's full. I just, that just bums me out so much because I can't always go back to sleep because, you know, that seems like the best time to solve the problems of the world, right? <laughs> Thinking about everything. So definitely go easy on the liquids before bed. The next thing that I think we all know is really important is food. And I've broken food down into two different components. One is talking about food for fuel purposes, having enough energy to do the tasks and the work and, and the brain work really that we need to do day in and day out, taking care of kids, taking care of parents, running errands, you know, doing the banking, the taxes, running a business, helping out in the classroom, having a job, all of those things require energy aside from just being alive. So there's, you know, a few things that most people don't consider. There's a, there's a few things that use the fuel that we put in our bodies. And that's just the basic maintenance of staying alive. Like what kind of energy do you need if you were simply lying in bed? Well, now that's going to be vastly different than the energy that you would need if you were training for a marathon. And then somewhere in between is just sort of a regular day. Now, if you have a desk job, you're not going to need as much energy as someone who has a more active job. Maybe you're a coach of some sort where you're, you know, with hands on with your 
students or your athletes, maybe you're, you work in a preschool or you're a teacher and you're up on your feet a lot more, that's going to be a lot more energy, a lot more fuel you're going to need for that. Now, there's a great debate out there in terms of what kind of fuel you need to take in every day to either maintain, gain, or lose weight. And the traditional theory is, of course, energy in, energy out. And if you have weight to lose, you create an energy deficit, right? So you take on less fuel, then you burn, and then you create a deficit. It's very good on paper, and it's a very good theory. And as a loose structure, there's validity to it, in my opinion. I think when we get too wrapped around the axle about the actual number of calories or macros, it can be a little crazy. And for most people, it's unnecessary. It takes a little bit of work to figure out what kind of fuel you need. But sometimes it's just as easy to you know, cut out one that is higher in fuel, calories, macros, whatever, and add a little bit more exercise without having to count or make yourself nuts. So being adequately fueled so that you can have the focus and concentration that you can get through your day is super, super important, but it doesn't have to be complicated or weird. When I was going through all my nutrition training, we talk about things in terms of level one, level two, or level three eaters. And level one eaters are 97% of the population. And they're just, you know, you just need to know what to eat, when to eat, so you you can do what you want to do and feel how you want to feel. And those are really easily accomplished by just doing some, you know, visual estimations like the size of your hand or a cupped hand or a fist or a thumb, you know, for the different type of macronutrients. Level two and level three people are people who are competing in athletics, people who make their living with their body and really, really need to be dialed in. So we're talking about, you know, athletes, people who are competing, whether on the amateur professional level, people who are models, fitness experts, you know, high level Olympic athletes. These are people that need more specialized and more dialed in numbers. Because I don't know about you, I really, I personally, when we talk about not having a lot of time, I don't have a lot of time to count my food and to obsess and to tweak things because I really feel like that is another way to go down the rabbit hole and lose track. So fuel, food as fuel is really important and it's a huge part of the, of the pie, right? And the next part is nutrients. Well, we can get lots of fuel from lots of crappy food that are non-nutritive, non-nutritive foods, meaning they have barely any nutrition. And I like to look at it in terms of like, you know, the things that are going to give us the most micronutrients, the most nutritive parts of foods are, are really fruits and vegetables. And while they may skew things, especially fruits can push us a little higher on our fuel, They are important to how well our body runs, how well we deal with stress, how well we sleep. They really do come into play. And so we look at it like, you know, a pyramid of like having fruits and vegetables as the basis and then moving into protein because we don't make the vital parts, the amino acids to be able to build and maintain muscle. So we don't want to lose it, right? Because that's part of the aging process that everybody dreads is not being able to have the muscle to push yourself up out of a chair or off the floor if you fall. And maintaining that is really maintaining well-being over time. So it's super important to get protein. And then we mix in, you know, the carbohydrates. And I really favor single source carbohydrates. So if you don't have a carb intolerance, if you don't have 
insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, you have more leeway in doing like a rice, sweet potato, oatmeal, that kind of thing. But generally, I put those in last for a lot of people, especially over 40, because we tend to if insulin resistance is going to show up, it's going to start showing up in our forties. And so that's the hierarchy. And we, we put fats in there too. And fats are really important. Fats are essential for hormonal regulation. If you've ever noticed that really, really lean women oftentimes won't have periods. And it's because the lack of body fat and the lack of fat in their diet potentially where the signaling can't happen. And that's not normal. So, you know, we were meant to have those cycles every month or on a regular basis if they're not, you know, exactly every 28 days. So all of those things come into play and are very, very important. And that's where all the nutrients, you know, there's two sides of why we eat. I mean, most people think eating is just about having fun or being full or maintaining your weight, but there's really that whole side of nutrients. And I think getting too one-sided either way makes us imbalanced and can really affect how we look, feel, and perform at everything we do in our life. So moving on is hydration. Hydration is getting enough liquid. And, you know, that's water. That's straight water. That's not, you know, Gatorade, soda, coffee, tea, juice, all of those things. It's straight water. Now, all those other things have water in them, but the work that it takes to derive the water actually uses up some of the water. So for example, if you drink coffee, because it does have water in it, but uh, caffeine and coffee itself is a diuretic, so it will make you lose more water, you're at a disadvantage if you don't first have, say, a cup of water equal to the size of the cup of coffee you're having, right? So now you're going to be at a deficit. And the standard way of thinking about hydration is half your body weight in ounces of water per day. And that's not taking into account if it's hot or you're exercising or you're exercising while it's hot, right? So there, you know, that's just the beginning stages, sort of like enough fuel for your body to to lie in bed all day and just have your brain work and your brain and your heart and your lungs working and your blood pumping, right? Hydration is the same way. And I always thought this was really cool that if you look at the earth, the earth is 70, I think 70% water and our bodies are nearly the same percentage. I think that's really cool. I, I don't, that's a little side note, but I, I think that's a really interesting thing about water and hydration and things, you know, salty diets, which, you know, we need a fair amount of sodium in our bodies and, and that's okay, but things will make us give up water that we need to have for all of our processes in our body to work correctly. So hydration isn't just, you know, something that trainers push on you. It's really, really essential. And that's all these foundational pieces are essential things. Now I, I move into like fitness, which I've split this into two categories as well, because there's strength and there's like endurance or cardio strength. Maybe that's a better way to say it is, is more like intensity or high, you know, high where you, your heart rate gets going a lot faster. So on the strength side, I've kind of already alluded to it. As we age, it's really, really important that we literally fight to keep our muscle tone. And I know a lot of women are hesitant to be in the gym. Fortunately, it's not the same when I was in my 20s or 30s where, you know, I was usually only one or two of the women in the gym. Now, you know, thanks to things like CrossFit and, you know, physique competitions and, you know, obviously the internet and it becoming more and more popular. And then, of course, Title IX, you know, girls are starting sports 
as early as boys are. And so we have raised this whole generation of very athletic girls who, when their days of playing sports are over, they want to continue being in shape and they know the value of regular exercise. And so I don't think that there's as much of a challenge for younger women to be part of the gym, but I know a lot of people don't like to sweat. And a lot of women still, you know, can hold on to that old adage that, you know, if I lift, I'm going to get super muscular. I mean, I really wish it was that way. I wish I could go to the gym half as much as I go to the gym and be as muscular as I want to be and be as strong as I want to be. I mean, here's the thing. If you want to be shapely and you want to look good and you want to look lean and you want to look fit and shape, you know, shapely and womanly, uh, you got to have muscles. It's not good anymore to just be skinny because skinny is not healthy. You know, those, those are the women too that often have those issues with their cycles and some other hormonal issues coming up. So building muscle is really essential and keeping muscle. So whether you're in your 30s and you've not hit that point where your body just is slowing down in every way conceivable, you can't even imagine like what happens to you when you get in your 50s and 60s. But if you are in that range or you're, you know, pushing 50, late 40s, you already you already probably have experienced how what you used to do isn't quite enough anymore. And you might need to go a little bit further or do it more frequently. You can't get away. You can't cheat anymore, right? You can't do a couple days on and then take a week off, you will pay for it. And I think it's really important as women that we continue to be strong because let's face it, girls, we are internally very, very strong. And it's not to be detrimental to males at all. I mean, I, you already know, I live in a male household and I'm fascinated by their physical strength. It's, it's amazing to me to watch this little baby who just looks like, you know, you can't tell if it's a boy or a girl really. And then they grow up and they become so muscular and tall and big and like, whoa, like men are fascinating to me. But women, we have this way about us on the internal side that we are very, very strong. And I think, you know, in order to do the things we want to do in life, we got to be physically strong too. And that requires effort. Sorry if you don't like the gym, but you can do some push-ups at home. You can do some air squats at home. You can walk around with things in your arms and make it a little bit heavier, which a lot of mommies do. I know. I probably was way stronger when I was younger and carrying kids around. Now we have to be deliberate if we're not doing that anymore. So really find a way to integrate some strength, whether it's body weight or using resistance of a machine or using resistance of a barbell or dumbbells or a kettlebell or a medicine ball, you know, use some resistance and keep your muscle strength going. All right. Now the next part is cardio. And it's funny because I think, um, Women are much more attracted to cardio because we're much more attracted to being thinner. And the correlation is if we just go out there and just burn it, you know, run hard, orange theory, you know, cardio, 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 spin, you know, all these things, we're going to, we're going to melt it off, like putting butter in the microwave, you know, we're just going to be able to pour it and it's going to go off. And I think sometimes we forget about the benefits of a higher intensity cardiovascular workout in terms of, yeah, it, it does help help to burn fat to a certain degree. Um, it does keep us healthy. I mean, who doesn't want to be able to run and catch up to your kid or, or if somebody says, Hey, let's go on a bike ride. You're like totally game for it because you're not past the point of having some degree of cardiovascular fitness. I have a friend who always says, I train, so I don't suck at life. 
you know, who wants to suck at life? Who wants to have any opportunity not available to you because your body wasn't ready for it? And I'm not talking about like some craziness, but just anything, a bike ride with your kids, playing soccer with your kids and not getting gassed out in two minutes where they're like, mom, it's so boring. You're not playing. And you're like, hold on hold on. Like, I don't want to be like that. And I don't think you want to be like that, especially if there's some things you want to go after and accomplish in your life. Being physically fit and strong is so useful to adapting new mindsets. When you believe you can do it in the physical, all the world of possibility opens up from there. Hey, if I can do it there, I can probably do it there. If I can do it in my body, I can do it in my business. You know, that, that kind of correlation. And I think it's super important. Anybody who knows me personally knows that this is an area that I've always been really passionate about because I feel good when I exercise. And there are days when I do more cardio oriented. I've done Orange Theory. I've used to do spin. I did step aerobics until uh, one week before I delivered my first son. I've been in the weight room my whole life since high school. I mean, as far as I can remember. And my kids used to complain about it. They used to say, mom, like, why do we have to go to the kids room again at the gym? And I'd say, dudes, seriously, mommy is a better mommy when she gets her workout in. It's just mental health for me. And I think that a lot of women don't really realize the power that it has for us emotionally and sleep and self-image. You know, there's something about being a little bit sore. Even if you can't see a ton of physical changes from the outside, you're like, I know I'm working. I know I'm working towards it. If I keep doing this, it's going to happen. So I really encourage you to, you know, start integrating regular strength, regular, you know, get your heart rate going kind of things. And I mean, that could be walking faster on the treadmill. That could be walking faster with a friend or further with a friend. But in anything that you do, try to get your heart rate up, you know, try to not be just cruising because ultimately you're training your heart. Your heart is a muscle. That's just another part of it. So the last part is kind of a dually too. It's, it's about, you know, your, your mental health, mental well-being. And part of that is your ways of thinking, your mindset, and part of it is stress management. Stress management is kind of like time management. Mm, it's not always doable in a direct line like we'd maybe like it to be. There's a lot of things that stress us that we forget are part of the problem. So when you exercise, it's stress, right? It can be good stress or bad stress. Too much is bad stress, right? Food can be a form of stress on your body, like physically stressing your body when you're eating really bad food consistently and your body is starving for nutrients. That is stressful. When you don't sleep adequately, you don't sleep enough hours and you don't sleep enough in the right kind of sleep, the good sleep, that is super stressful in your body. And we can have physical manifestations of that stress come out in terms of how our body looks. So over time, if we don't mitigate the stress, if we don't get rid of the stress, we can start to carry a lot of extra weight around our, our middles. And I think that's the probably the biggest complaint I hear from women consistently is this idea of, oh my gosh, I just have this belly fat. And that happens because of hormones, that happens because of stress. It's a whole lot of reasons. Let's not forget also the stresses that come from everyday life from juggling a lot of balls or spinning a lot of plates, as I like to call it, you know, where we've got eight sticks 
standing up on our arms and each one of those sticks pointing up to the sky with a plate that's spinning. Now we got to try to keep those plates spinning, yet our arms are full. That is stressful. We got the kids, we got our parents, we got our marriages, we got our friends, we got the bank account, we got the job, we got the house, we got, you know, everything that we take on as women and really create stresses and really create distractions from, you know, taking care of ourselves. We're always last, right? In in that picture, you see the person that's holding all those sticks in the air is below all of the priorities that are the plates, right? We make ourselves last and that's stressful. So... Stress comes in a lot of shapes and a lot of forms, and we can control them to some degree. So let's go through how we could probably control some things. Eating, that's easy. Adopt a cleaner diet, vegetable, clean protein, you know, healthy fats kind of diet, right? That's going to help nutrify our bodies. Getting exercise. Like I said, for me, It's always been stress management. It's always been stress release. You know, when I can't figure something out mentally or if something's really bugging me, I just get out of the house and go. I hop on my bike. I get on my rollerblades. I go for a a walk with a friend. I have one particular friend that when each of us is dealing with some sort of stressful situation, we go on a hike. And man, that hike is no joke. We go fast. We go hard because it's intensity that we're talking about. But you know what? We always feel better always feel better. We always figure things out. So that's another way to mitigate some stress. So you can see like right there, we've, we've talked about a couple ways we can just, you know, lower stress in some areas, which makes us more resilient to the effects of stress. And maybe some ways we can't help it. Like as you get older, you can't help if you're going to go through menopause. That's stressful. It's a big change on your body and it's a big change on your brain. You're like, what is this body? I don't even know who's this, whose body this is anymore. And so it's really powerful to have tactics ahead of time. Now, another way that we get stressed out is emotionally. Now, some people think that emotions are just things that happen to us. And in some ways they are because they're reflective of patterns of belief that we have. So for example, if we are getting really stressed out because our child is struggling in school, right? We're stressed because The teacher is sending us notes that make us feel ashamed, you know, that our kid is falling behind because you feel like you're being judged by the teacher and that you you take on the responsibility of your child's success, you know, as a child that, you know, they're little, of course, the, the influence they have is us. But if you really, really think about that, there's a million other reasons why your child may be falling behind, right? And something in getting a notice from your teacher triggered an insecurity in yourself or an expectation in yourself. So let's think about this. Maybe your child has undiagnosed uh, autism or a learning disability or is distracted because there's another child in the room who's messing with them. Maybe they have a condition that's undiagnosed. I mean, I know for me, one of our kids was acting so rotten at an age where it was not a typical time to be rotten. It was, you know, third grade. And it turns out we didn't figure it out for six months, but he was moving into type one diabetes. So he was not the same person when he was in that transition phase of the disease before we diagnosed him, that disease that he was acting differently. So there's a lot of reasons other than it being your fault or our fault, but yet we take on the stress of that. 
rather than doing in some digging and then owning it and saying, what part of this situation is my responsibility? Am I making sure he's getting his homework done? Am I available for him if he has questions? Am I in conversation with the teacher so that we can work on this together? And, and just being proactive. You know, when you take action, a lot of times it relieves stress, right? Because you can see it for what it is instead of filling in the blanks with stories that are not true, stories that are built out of our fears. So that is really the, the foundation of how I help people and how I really encourage people to be well, right? When you're well, you can now move forward in your life with the more complex things, with the more fun things, right? You have a basis where you're like, yeah, everything's clicking, body's working, brain's working, everything's, you know, flowing. And now you can go after what you want more. You have more energy, you have more determination, you have more confidence. And again, that's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being bolder and braver and sassier in your life and just taking a hold of what you want from this life. Cause it's not a dress rehearsal. That is one thing that I know from the 50 years of life that I've had things that I expected to be around forever were not, and things constantly change. And it's up to us to grab what we want when we want. And I want to really equip you. And I hope this has given you a little bit of clarity, but like with a simple foundation that you can just remember going forward. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe, review the show, share it with your friends. Just keep listening in. And of course, you can find the show notes at my website, annieberryhill.com. This episode will be up there shortly and you can check through and we'll have all kinds of links to different resources. And you can comment there. You can send me comments and questions and I would love to tackle them on a future show. So this is Annie Berryhill signing off, wishing you a bold, brave, and sassy day ahead. Thanks. Thanks.